everyone, welcome back to another episode of the podcast. With me today, I have Bitsy Tandem. Bitsy is the writer and creator of the hit indie series, Maiden in Disguise. Maiden in Disguise is this really cool uh, kind of concept in which it is both uh, about a character and the world that character kind of uh, plays this video game in, and Bitsy has done this really awesome kind of world building with it, and our talks just on world building and creativity in general are just really awesome, and I can't wait for you guys to hear them. Uh, and once you're done listening to this podcast, make sure you head on over to Kickstarter and support uh, Bitsy and her Kickstarter for Maiden in Disguise. So without further ado, enjoy the conversation. All right, Bitsy, thank you uh, so much for joining me today. Um, you have a, a really cool project, uh, Maiden, in, Maiden in Disguise, which was originally a webtoon, and now you are putting a book together on Kickstarter, but there's also a video game involved. So uh, I'm not doing this at all any type of justice. So can you kind of explain to everyone kind of uh, what your project is and just kind of what you're kind of bringing to life? Because I think it's really, really cool, the fact that you're hitting uh, all these different mediums uh, to bring your ideas to life. Yeah, so uh, it started quite a few years ago, and I was just posting on, like, Webtoons and Tapastic, and I consider that Webtoon version, like, my first draft. And it was, like, I wanted to make a character, like, a gamer girl, and um, and I really wanted to have a video game that was really realistic because one of my goals in life has always been, you know, one day make a video game. So... Later down the line, last year, we decided to take that first draft, rewrite it, redraw it, and um, put this comic book together that we're kickstarting to get it in English and Japanese. And um, in that, you can see the game that we are building, and uh, that game will be a tabletop RPG first. So we do still want to have an actual video game one day, but we're telling a story about a young girl on a planet, Eoterra, that we world-built together, me and my husband, alongside a completely separate story about her video game character and his world. So each part of the story is supposed to feel like a completely different world, a completely different universe. Very, like, they cross over because the characters playing the video game characters are the same people. But it's like high role play, so it's very much supposed to feel like two separate stories with their own like storylines and ups and downs and own universes. <laughs> that's that's awesome. I my my first question is um, how much you were talking about all this world building that you're doing, um, and I yes. you know uh, you, you said I, I read uh, on the Kickstarter page that you guys have been working on this for seven years. So kind of like, what was the world building for this like? So you're building not only the world that your main character's on, but also the world that the video game character's on. So what's that, what, how has that been like kind of fleshing out this really huge kind of multi-layered universe? Because I'm, I'm in awe of it. I, I, I really am. I think you, uh, I, I read the, the webtoons. I think you guys do a really good job of balancing this stuff. And as a writer myself, I'm just I'm really in awe of that world building aspect. So I kind of would love to pick your brain about how you guys did that. So um, world building is one of those things that just kind of comes to me like I can't stop it. I just keep creating different planets in my brain. So so it's a little bit of that, like natural talent, I suppose you could say in that aspect. But um, 
it started in 2012. I had just this idea of this kind of, it started with this like steampunk character and um, around his journey around the world and um, building up like these ideas for futuristic stories and stories in the past, we kind of slowly put together Eoterra, which is um, the planet that Eliana, the main character, is on. And um, we have been building it very slowly. So it's been a, a very much like a like a crawling toward the end goal up until 2018 when we decided that we wanted to really flesh it out. We wanted to put some time and energy and really just make sure that we had a solid baseline because we were starting to think about, you know, actually redoing Maiden in Disguise. And um, that is when we kick-started our first book, which is The Visitor's Guide to Eoterra. And um, it's a big, like, magazine size, big old thick book. <laughs> and, um, and it's awesome because we got to put, like our histories and our, you know, present Eoterra stuff building up to the future stories we have. Because Maiden in Disguise was not the first story on Eoterra. We had that steampunk one, which will be coming out later this year, finally. <laughs> and then um, the futuristic one was actually one. Those two were like the first stories that I ever really, truly started building. And so we started thinking about, you know, economics and diversity and how to build up a planet that felt truly its own, even though it is influenced a lot by what we as humans have experienced, because you can't, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a little hard to be original when all you know is human earth life. <laughs> Very much really, so. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, the, that history, that like foundation of the planet, was really something that has been slowly accumulating over many, many years. And so it was always kind of like when you play a video game and you're like mapping out the map, that's kind of how it felt. Like you're walking around the map and you're finding new things and you're like, oh, wow, I'm exploring this whole new place and it's revealing itself to you. That's kind of how Eoterra felt. Like it revealed itself to us slowly but surely. And then you've got the video game world which was a totally different process because <laughs> there are eight playable planets in Luminarion. The solar system, which is the game name, is called the Luminarion. <laughs> and there's eight planets in it. And um, that was much more like, okay, we're just going to sit down and we're going to like build some planets. And that was awesome. So we've got uh, one of them is just my D&D game. <laughs> planet like we just we just took my D&D world that we've been playing for the few years and we're like that'll be Mirath woohoo easy <laughs> and then um and then we've started building lore and history for the other planets as well and it's like one of the most important things to to us in world building is making sure that there's enough diversity in the planets themselves so Diverse biomes, plant life, creatures, peoples. Because um, too often you see like, oh, that's the blue planet. That's the red planet. That one's all fire. That one's all water. You know, this one is just, yeah, just completely green. <laughs> like, I don't know. 
Yeah, like the the Mario version, right? Like you play Mario and it's yeah. like, uh, oh, this is the water world. This is the big tree, mm-hmm. the big world or whatever. So what, uh, mm-hmm. you know, I don't mean to cut you off here, but um, did you, did you outline all this? Like, how did, how did you like, did you like have like a, each planet have their own like binder? Like how did, how did the, the creation of this kind of happen? Because I'm really intrigued, mm-hmm. um, just kind of. The thought behind it is really um, is really cool. N- not just the thought, but the scope is really cool. And um, I just am curious on how that that went went about. Yeah. So with the Eotera, it was a lot of like loose papers. Like I'd get an idea and I'd write it down, and then I had a binder just full of this random stuff. So when we went through to do the Kickstarter, we're like pulling out like little pieces of papers from like my. I worked at Radio Shack for a while and Lowe's for a while. And it's just like these paper I got from work with like the logo on it and like sketches and scratches of like notes. So that was like kind of that kind of, I guess, kind of organic build up. It was kind of fun, kind of messy. And then um, the other planets, they have, um, <laughs> what's it called? Files. Uh, so, I don't know why, but I use like three different online places to do my typing and it's a mess. I really need to get my crap together. But so I've got like my Evernote and my Grammarly and a few other places, but they've got like their own little sub files where we just like type it all up. So it's a little, a little more clean cut and a little more like, okay, we've got a plan for this. We've built the world before. We kind of have a better idea of how to go about it now. So it's a lot more clean, a lot more put together and I've been trying to get everything over onto no Evernote. I'm trying to consolidate to Evernote because it lets you do all those like separate files and separate books for your books. (laughs) So we'll have yeah, each planet has their own little little internet folder. (laughs) That's uh, awesome. Yeah. Uh, So you're the art you you're the writer and the artist on this, correct? Yes. (laughs) Yes. <laughs> so, so how much does uh, artist Bitsy fight with writer Bitsy, or like how does that kind of <laughs> how, 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 how does that kind of process work? Because I, I I find it really interesting talking to um, just artists or just writers, uh, and sometimes their process is much different than someone who is a writer and an artist like yourself. So, kind of how does that mm-hmm. um, play a role in your process? It is definitely been something that has <laughs> I've kind of had to struggle with because like Ryder Bitsy has grand ideas and you know all these plot lines and so much stuff I could do and like my imagination is so vivid and cinematic and then artist Bitsy is like struggling to keep up <laughs> like I can't do this there's too much and um Honestly, it wasn't until 2020 when my art got to the point where I was actually happy with it. So for the past, shoot, I started learning in 2009. So from 2009 to 2020, I hated my art. So so that was hard because it's like I can't pay anyone else to do it. So I'm just going to have to do it myself. And I'm I'm dyslexic, so I can't write novels. Like I do kind of screenplay script style. I'm good with like the dialogue and I can kind of set a scene, but I'm not an eloquent writer. So that's why I learned to draw. I'm like, I can't 
express myself. So I'll just draw it to express myself. And it worked, but it was always like, it bothered me that I wasn't good at drawing. That was not something that came easy to me. I was not born <laughs> an artiste. So it's been a struggle. So if you don't, if you don't mind, I kind of want to dig into that a little bit. So you started learning in 2009 and now yes. like 2020, like, you know, less than a year ago, just, you know, a couple yeah. weeks back. Uh, now you're like, yeah. Yeah, I, I finally, I finally like it. Um, which is interesting. I feel like a lot of artists, whatever medium that is, feel the same way. Like if I look back at my stuff, I wrote, you know, however many, how, how, you know, a decade plus ago, two decades ago, I would just laugh at myself. So kind of what was that process like for you to not only stick with the the drawing, but what was it like seeing yourself? I'm assuming you got better a little bit over time. So what was that like kind of going from, all right, I'm not good at all to now I like it. Like how did, uh, how did you mentally keep yourself in the game? Cause I feel like a, you know, um, a lot of artists, probably have gone through or feel the same way that you have right I know for my with me as a writer like every day I still think I suck so like and I've been doing it for a long I you know I I do it for a long time um so I'm really interested to kind of hear um how you're able to kind of mentally um and emotionally and psychologically and all the ologies that you want to put on it um able to get yourself from that state of all right I'm not good now to now this is where I feel good about this. Uh, so, yeah, it was definitely, definitely difficult. Thankfully, when you start getting better at something, your growth is exponential. So you kind of, it gets faster and faster. But that first few years were tough. Cause I started in 2009, which was my freshman year of high school. So I'm trying to draw anime characters out of my little Nintendo magazine. Like I bring the magazine to school and, and try and like draw them over here. And my teacher, thankfully, was very supportive, but she didn't understand it. So she was like, she wasn't going to stop me from trying to draw the anime characters, but she had no like, oh, you should start with anatomy. You should learn these things. You should know how a person moves and how they would be in perspective. Like she didn't really have that knowledge because she was just like a painter. And yeah, you need to know some of that stuff for painting. But I guess she just didn't think it would translate to anime drawings, I suppose. So she she wasn't discouraging, but she didn't. She wasn't a lot of help. <laughs> and um but thankfully, my, my mom and my grandma and everybody around me was very supportive. And my mom is always collecting my little drawings and keeping them. And she's like, these are precious. They're beautiful. And I'm like, no, they're not. <laughs> they're trash. <laughs> but she was really supportive. And, I, and so that gave me the courage to keep pushing through, even though it was really hard and really, like, yeah, just kind of difficult. And then and then in 2012, my cousin and I started drawing a comic. That was like my first like, oh, maybe I'll try comic books because I love manga. I read it, you know, all through high school. And we just started kind of doodling together. And that was like the beginnings of Yotera. It was like he had a mustache guy and I had a chick with headphones. And we were like making these random characters. And um, something about that just lit a fire in me like 
like I, my art still wasn't great. And like, I had no, like I had all these stories, but no way to tell them. Cause I, I would try and write them back in high school. I would try and write my novels and I'd get three pages in and couldn't read my chicken scratch. And, <laughs> and then, so we started drawing one of these little like novel ideas and uh, it was just like, Whoa, it's not great, but, but you know what I'm saying here. So it was like, it was freeing. It was like, I can tell my stories. So that combined with the support and love of my family and friends kept me going, even when it was really depressing and really hard to draw. Cause the next few years I started getting into digital art and, um, Oh boy, I was bad at that. <laughs> So you think pencil and paper's hard. Then you got this slippy, slidey screen. It was awful. And, uh, but but I kept pushing through it because I was like, you know, these people believe in me and I have a goal to tell this story. So I will get there. I will get there. And I pushed through and I pushed through. And um, I don't really know where that drive comes from, really. I've just kind of always been ambitious, I guess bit of a slithering <laughs> but um uh so so yeah that like that drive that like ambition that's deep-seated combined with the support and love and the and the freeingness of saying my words without using words was really the only reason I didn't stop because I would have quit if I was just drawing to draw, I would have quit years ago and I never would have gotten here. Especially I got, I was getting better steadily, slowly. And then I tanked and that was tough. There was like two, three years that I just couldn't do well. And you can see it if you go back and find my first draft of my web comic. Um, Cause I have, I have the new web comic up now to kind of like, promote the kickstarter and that one's pretty and gorgeous and nice but if you go find the old one you'll see it's okay it's like bad but okay and then it just tanks in like the second or third chapter and that was hard that was like slogging through mud and i guess it was just part of the learning curve but yeah i was gonna, I was gonna, that, I was gonna ask why do you think that is like why I don't why know. was it like uh you know I know for me, like when I, I go through periods in my writing um, as a writer where like I'll get absolutely nothing out. And I think everything, like everything I try to turn out as a chore and it's just like weird, I think valleys as a creator. Cause you're like, for whatever reason, creative people, at least everyone that I've talked to and I'm trying to internalize it and make sense of this creative world that I'm in, uh, in my own head. It's one of the reasons why I'm doing this thing is to talk to more creative people is like, for some odd reason, like there'll be a point where like, all right, well, this isn't good enough. And then like, it's just that, that weird dip, like you said. And so how did you get yourself back yeah. out of that? Cause I think it's really powerful uh, that you, you, you've not only recognized it and saw it, but then now you're on the other end of it. Yeah, yeah, that was that was crazy. It was like a it's like a two, two and a half, three year stint where my art was like just it felt like a metamorphosis, you know? Like like I felt like a caterpillar and now I'm like in this cocoon and it's like now you can't do anything. You're just kinda stuck in this muddy cocoon and you can't make your art look nice. And uh, 
yeah, I don't, I don't know why. I think it's just part of the process when you're learning something, especially because like as humans, we're all born with some natural talent and some like just motivation and drive to learn things that we don't, you know, that we aren't good at. And it's kind of like that balance of like some people, you know, the best athlete in the world could be someone who has never even ran before because he just never thought about it. But he's got all that natural talent in him. So it was, I think, trying to do something that you're not naturally talented at can kind of have that that metamorphosis phase. I I can't say for sure. It just kind of felt normal. Like, I don't know. It just kind of felt like it needed to happen. I needed to crash. I needed to relearn all of my basics. I needed that those few years of bad art to then boost. Because when I got out of that, I was twice as good as I was before I got into that. So, yeah, it's like... Like a yeah, you caterpillar and then you're and you're like metamorphosis and then you're a butterfly. But yeah, it, it that's what it felt like. And even when I was in it, it kind of I just kind of felt like once I got through it, it would be better. It's like that slog. Like yeah. when you're running. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Yeah. So uh I, you know, kinda Going a little so once you got out of that, did you then um, start the web comic that you have now? That's up or like kind of where did you go from there? Um, how, how did that kind of so, transition happen? I um I was working on Maiden in Disguise before and during the slog, but it was like it was like my first draft. You know, it was like I didn't know what I was doing. I was still learning. After that, I was feeling pretty confident because. Um, like I said, it was like twice as good as I was before, but I still know where I am now. And um, so I decided with that new art that I was do another book of Maiden in Disguise. So I continued with that and I started doing some side stories and I actually published them. Like, I don't know, coming out of that slog kind of gave me the the confidence that I needed to just publish a book. And um, I've had some some friends who are writers and they're like, it's it's never going to be perfect. It's never going to be what you want it to be. If you don't publish it, it'll never be published. And um, I didn't know I'd restart Maiden in Disguise. I thought it would be what it was going to be, and that would be that. And we just leave it as, you know, child growing and learning how to do comics. And that's just, you know, what it was was going to always stay. So I decided I would publish Maiden in Disguise. So I took my webcomic and I made it into more of a comic like book style and redid some of the art and left some of the art and, um, and I published it. And that was like, it was simultaneously the most fulfilling thing I had ever done. And the most like, I am a fraud. <laughs> we all have that feeling for sure. A thousand percent. <laughs> so, it was crazy. And uh, I did three Three whole books of that, like, like fulfilling, but I'm a fraud feeling. Like, th- I did three whole books until I started thinking, um, maybe, maybe we should redo the whole thing. And um, then, yeah, after, yeah, it was that. It's so weird to think about because that was only two and a half years ago. So, 
we, um, I published that third book and I was like, okay, it's way better than anything I've ever done ever, but it still felt wrong. Like it wasn't what it could be. And so my husband for years now has been trying to get me to redo Made in the Skies. And he's finally like, just restart it with me. I'll help you, you know? And um, so 2020, 2020 comes along and um, all of a sudden we've got a lot more time on our hands. <laughs> he doesn't have to go into his job. <laughs> what do you know? <laughs> so I, at that point, like I had, I had that like metamorphosis art. Like I, I was in my butterfly phase, and it was, it was good. It wasn't as good as it is now, but it was like good enough that I felt confident to redo the first two books. And um, so that's what we started doing in 2020. And then we decided, why would we just redo the two books that you wrote way back in 2012? Like, why not redo the whole series? <laughs> and. Uh, so what I did is I bought a bunch of art courses because I'm like, I understand my fundamentals now, but I'm not where I want to be. So how do I get where I want to be? And then my husband was tearing down my entire webcomic and like rewriting it for me. So he's like, he, he's a writer. He's really good with words. So we were simultaneously like learning and growing throughout 2020 as he you know, picked apart my story, re-put it together in a way that made sense. And uh, and then I learned how to get my art and coloring to a spot where we were pretty happy with it. And then it was like last year in summer, we just started working on the new book that we're kickstarting now. <laughs> it's does that answer your question? I'm yeah, so no, no, yeah, no, <laughs> I, I uh, no, that that definitely does. So uh, now that, um, so I know absolutely, I'm like a complete novice when it comes to web comics and like the downward scrollingness of it all. Um, I, 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 I really want to get in into web comics. I, you know, I, I know a lot of creators um, are are kind of getting into it. So how? First off, how does that differ from like putting together like a regular American sized comic or and or a manga for that matter? Because it, it reads in the in the the I don't even know what you call it, the visual presentation of it, like the the medium itself. Yeah. yeah it's different. So how, how does that work like when you're putting it together in your head, both as a writer and the an artist, and then how do you take that and then put it into a book? Like do you gotta chop it up? Like how does that work? So it all, it all depends on who you are as a person, but my process is um, pretty different from everyone else's. Most, most of the Webtoon friends that I have, they'll work in that long scroll format, and they kind of thrive with that. And, um, and then the comic book people I know are very much like panel, 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 panel. I do neither of those. <laughs> I don't do either way. I write my screenplay, and then I look at a blank page and go, hmm what happens on this page to describe what is in, you know, my little script over here. And uh, so the workflow that I found is best for my husband and I is I will do the manga style paneling in a, we do it American comic book direction just because it's easy for the American readers. And um, 
I don't know. I got I got roped into it. I got peer pressured into doing it American style instead of Japanese style. <laughs> but so so yeah, I'll kind of like put those panels together. But what I'll do is I'll keep all of the dialogue separate. So I'll draw the panels like each panel is more um, like individual art. So I'm not working around the dialogue. I'm not, you know, cutting corners on like not finishing my person's head because there's a dialogue level. I'll take the dialogue away and I'll do each panel completely through. And um, and then I'll take the panels and put them onto the long format and uh, rearrange them that way. And that's pretty easy. That's a pretty simple workflow where it's like it goes from the script to the manga to the webtoon. And, um, and then my husband takes it from there. So I'll get the panels on it and then he'll arrange it a little better because he's, I don't know he, how he does it. He's got this like, like design. He's got this like eye for design. So he'll kind of like space it right so that it has that more like cinematic feeling of those pauses and stuff. And I don't know how he does it. <laughs> if I were to do it, it would be a lot less like nice. I'd <laughs> just be like panel, 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 panel. <laughs> like, I don't know. <laughs> so what, what, uh, what, what's it like working with your uh your husband on this because i i saw that he uh you, you call me your assistant uh and it sounds like yes. he's pretty heavily involved so how's that uh uh how is it working with your spouse mm-hmm. it started off a little rocky we started out Ooh, um, lots of fights I'm, I'm married <laughs> so i understand all of this <laughs> We're, um, thankfully, we've known each other since middle school, so (laughs) most of the fights that we would have in our life have been had, (laughs) except for, like, kids. I have no idea. We'll get, maybe, maybe I'll do kids one day, (laughs) but, so we started in 2008, and it's crazy, because, like, I'll say something, and I'll have this vision, and his will be completely different. It's like, for how similar our brains can be sometimes, it's amazing how different we can perceive something. And that's part of like psychology that I find super intriguing is just how different individual people can see the world and interact with it. It's crazy. It's, <laughs> but that's a can of worms for a different time. <laughs> the, um, but so I would, I would kind of have these ideas and write them down and he'd have some and we'd kind of like work together and like making it makes sense but then I'd go and draw something and that's where the discrepancies happened because he's like that's not what I said that's not what I had in my you know envisioned and I'm like but that's what I envisioned I'm like what's wrong with it and that it took him a while to be able to just let that go or so what we do now is I'll I have to get approved on my sketches because I'm like once my line art's done I'm not changing it, so y'all have to deal with it or tell me before I get there. <laughs> so we've found a flow that works, but it was a little difficult at first, um, especially because, like, I let him handle a lot of the writing. If it's not my screenplay and my script, like, writing style, I don't write it. So any blog posts, any, like, I- I've been trying to do a little bit better, but most anything else that's written I just leave to him and then I'll go back and read it and be like this is not right <laughs> I'm like you did it wrong North Uldrania is not the Uldrania Vix that's South Uldrania but now it's published in the guide 
and it's like, ah, <laughs> I'm like, no, you did it wrong. And now I have to do it wrong because you did it wrong. <laughs> but that's awesome. Stuff. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, uh, talking a little bit kind of, uh, about the Kickstarter, what has it been like kind of developing a game? Like, how is that working? Cause your story is very much about, um, you know, a game within the, the universe, right? This universe within a universe and how they mm-hmm. kind of, um, yes. you know, bob and weave and dovetail in between each other. But you also actually have a game. So, like, what has it been like developing that or creating that? Because um, that's that's something that uh, I'm incredibly fascinated by. So it has been slow, <laughs> so slow. Every single year since, like, we started putting this game together, I have said, I'm going to have a Kickstarter for it next summer. It'll be ready. It'll be ready for a Kickstarter next summer. It hasn't been ready for five years. <laughs> so it's been slow. But um, with him having more time last year and being able to help a lot more with the writing and a lot more just in general, he's also been trying to learn some art. I've been making him take some art classes. <laughs> so it's been going faster and we're so close to having like a teaser pamphlet done but for the most part it's just kind of half in my head and half strewn out on our digital files and it's just been going so slow because I I can build the planet and I can build the races and I can give you a history for all of that and you know the whys and the hows but then there's the game mechanics I don't know how you can play it so that's been the hardest part. It's like I've got our setting, but I don't know how to get it playable. So he's been helping me flesh out the settings, but he also doesn't really understand how to get it playable because he DMs a little bit. He'll do the Dungeon Master stuff for our D&D group, but still kind of a novice. So both of us are like, game mechanics? Uh... <laughs> so that's kind of why we want to do a Kickstarter, but we want to have that pamphlet done. We want to have our setting described well enough that we can bring on more people because we we've quickly learned that we can't do this game ourselves. So the goal for Luminarion tabletop game is to have three game books and to have a lot of people working on that. So we want to bring in writers for quests. We want to bring in people who can help with the game mechanics. And uh, we want to bring in a lot of artists, as many artists as we can support, you know. And um, so the goal is to really have that be a group endeavor. But the settings are pretty much set in stone. We've We've got our settings. We've got our races. We've got, you know, a really solid foundation. And I have some quests and story ideas. But like I said, I don't really know how to do the mechanics of it. I don't know how or where you would start a quest and like what what your characters would have to do to get there. And it's like, I've never DM'd. I don't even know what a quest looks like. So it's been a learning curve. It's been crazy, but it's been fun. Um, but yeah, we're going to need to bring in some consultants and some writers and some help for that. <laughs> Yeah, so uh, that's kind of off to the side a little bit. Can you talk a little bit specifically about what your Kickstarter uh, 
is right now and just kind of like what you're kickstarting in general and then what are some kind of uh, rewards you're excited about and that uh, our listeners could kind of go and look at and hopefully back. Oh, yeah, yeah. So, um, like I said, we're doing the reboot of Maiden in Disguise, Maiden in Disguise new game, if you will. So <laughs> starting a new game file. So it's about a young gamer girl, and she is the uh, top gamer of her time. So she, like, just won a championship. She's very popular live streamer. Everybody knows her as Elrond Agrenar, her video game character. So it's kind of this duality of, like, her not knowing who she is without the game character and being very awkward and having a lot of anxiety in her real world of Yotera, along with the confident and strong Elrond Agrenar, who has to now live up to the expectations of all of these people that aren't like, that aren't even, uh, like in the game or like where that are playing. And so like, like fans come up to her and stuff and she like, she used to just play like solo and now she's got all these fans and all these people who know who she is now. And it's just like, there's so much pressure to live up to that. And, um, and she's expected to do specific quests and stuff in the game that are very specific to her character. Because one thing we did is um, we worked in a lot of the, the game that we're creating into what she's playing. So we call it the lore characters. So she has a character who actually impacts the lore of the game. And she won that character. She got it for, you know, winning championships and stuff and being really good at the game. And each person on the Oterra can only play one character. So she had to give up her previous character to play this character. And now she has to do the storylines and impact the game and the worlds, you know, as Elmer Dagrenar. And it's just like a lot to live up to. So it's kind of like, kind of like that. Oh, what's it called? Uh, fraud, you know, like we were saying earlier, like, like yeah, a little, I little imposter like syndrome. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, That's the word. Yeah. Little imposter syndrome in the video game, a lot of anxiety in the real world. So, but it's also a lot of fun. It's a lot of fun along the way. <laughs> yeah, for sure. I, I, I read the uh, the webcomic. I, I thoroughly enjoyed it. I was really taken aback by the world building. I thought it was really cool. I was super impressed with what you guys did. Um, and so uh, what are some cool um, reward tiers that you got going on for the Kickstarter? So um, some of my favorite ones are <laughs> the lamp there's a tier called lamp. I don't know if you've seen that meme, <laughs> but um, we, I, uh, there's a meme about lamps attracting moths, and um, it's just hilarious. Me and my husband are always just yelling randomly, lamp! So we found a person who will make lamps. <laughs> so, so I made a desk lamp, and nobody's got that tier yet. And I'm like, somebody needs to get my lamp. <laughs> That's awesome. Yes, the lamp. Um, and then uh, I really uh, think some of the the uh, what's it called? Some of the middle middle tiers with like the the book collector and stuff, where you'll get the visitor's guide and the book, and you can get like 
Uh, one of them, I think, has two books, so you can actually get the Japanese volume and the English volume, as well as the visitor guide. Because, um, and we were kickstarting it not just to publish it, but to also translate it into Japanese, which is now two publishing fees. So, <laughs> but living in Japan, we have all these friends, and it's just like, oh yeah, I do draw, and I just. I can't show you because it's in English. So like we'll, we'll show them the comic and they're just like, oh, that's cool. That's cool. But I don't understand. And I'm like, it's so hard to explain in English. I don't even know where I would begin to explain this in Japanese. It's insane. So we found a, a company in Tokyo who will translate it. And I'm like, I just, it's yeah, there's, I don't even know. I'm so concerned about sending them the script and then being like, this is too complicated, but I doubt that's going to happen. <laughs> so I, but, you know, I, I'm glad that you mentioned uh, that you're, you're in Japan and you're kind of doing this kind of uh, publishing thing for both Japanese and in English. And uh, I was just, I'm just really curious, uh, like how has it impacted kind of you as a creator Um kind of living out there um because you're from america originally am i correct on that yeah and so and so like how is that how has that kind of influenced your kind of creative side your writing like obviously it's a big it was probably a big culture shock going out there uh at first and then it seems like you know you kind of you kind of all into it so it's just really curious on how that works yeah yeah Thankfully, we're almost two years in and it started to feel like home now, but it's been shocking, like spending like almost all of last year was like living like like you like I wasn't I didn't belong like like living in like a hotel or something. It's like this isn't my home. This isn't where I live. What? Thankfully, we're starting to settle in now. But a lot of that like shock from like just having, you know, nothing familiar and. Uh, just like the stress of different culture uh, definitely made me like do a lot of self-reflection and inspired a lot of um, a lot of motivation to try and you know better ourselves and our creatives side. Um, but I think the most influence that Japan has had on me has actually been a lot of like this freeing, like just emotion, I guess, because I was one of those people who's like, if it's not black and white and in manga format and made by a Japanese person, it's not a manga. So I've been feeling like a fraud drawing this anime style art in full color in an American style, like reading direction. And, uh, and I come here and I show people and they're like, wow, you're a mangaka. And I'm like, which is just a manga artist. And um, I'm like, really? You think so? You don't think, I, you know, you're not you're not shunting me to the side because it's, you know, I'm American and it's kind of like comic book. I, and that they've just been so accepting and so open. And that might have to do with being out in the countryside. I don't know what it's like in Tokyo, but it's they've just been so welcoming and so open. And they they're just like like I used to think like manga was like specific and now it's like it's so much broader manga is just how they say comic book and some people will make a distinction because of the art styles but it's just so inclusive you know they just love the stories and they're not 
you know, judging me because I'm not Japanese and telling me I can't do that. They're encouraging it. They're like, yes, we want to see more, you know, foreigners accepting our culture and, you know, making more in this art style and even like, like wearing kimonos. They love seeing foreigners in kimonos. The, I had a Obachan, a grandma, give me a kimono the other day. And I'm like, it's too short for me, but thank you. And she won't take it. She was she was just like, yeah, I want you to have this and you, I want you to wear this. And it's like so short. <laughs> but, <laughs> but it's just so sweet. They're so encouraging. They're so welcoming. And it's been it's just so good to to see that and to know that now and to not have that like that like judgment that I always felt would kind of come like there there isn't any like wrath and judgment it's just people living their lives and loving that you're making something it's great that's that's yeah that's awesome that's a that's that's so cool so uh before we get out of here where can people find you and uh all that good stuff on the socials Oh, I'm everywhere. I'm pretty much the only Bitsy Tandem. <laughs> uh, it's either that or like a baby stroller. <laughs> but um, yeah, I'm on Instagram mostly. I try and post daily there, but I'm running out of art. So bear with me. I have to draw more things. Uh, so I'm not the best at social media. One day I'll hire someone to do it for me. <laughs> It'll be fancy. <laughs> Yeah, I'm uh, I'm not that great either. I do my best. Right, right. But yeah, if you want to see some pretty pictures, I'm on Instagram, Bitsy Tandem underscore the Bitzer. The Bitzer was my gamer tag when I was younger, and I haven't been able to like shake it. Which I mean, I kind of still love it. I can't get rid of it. It's in so. <laughs> but if yeah, Bitsy Tandem the Bitzer. I'm also on TikTok <laughs> if you want cringy videos. And uh, Facebook is great because you can actually follow my public profile. So even if we're not friends and don't know each other, you can just follow me and see what I post because I do lots of updates on there about Maiden in Disguise and what we're working on and some behind the scenes and uh, you know stuff about life if you're in- interested. <laughs> but yeah, all over, everywhere. Except for Twitter. I'm on Twitter, but I don't remember Twitter. I forget about it. Yeah, no worries. I I have a Twitter and I I use it uh, sparingly just kind of to promote this podcast. So that's how how I use it. I don't get Twitter. But anyways, uh, Bitsy, thank you so much for uh, joining me today. It was awesome talking with you. Yeah, it was great talking with you, too. Thanks for having me on, and thanks for letting me talk about Maiden in Disguise Kickstarter. That's it's really helpful getting the word out and telling people about the journey. It's been, a, been my life. been a yeah. life. Yeah, the, you know, it's, a, it's an awesome project, and I, I'm just really happy we were able to do this. So thanks again for coming on. Mm-hmm. Thanks for having me, Andrew. <laughs>